This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hi, Bo. Hey, girl. Hey. Ew. That was kind of salty. I, I don't, I don't think it was I just meant felt that way. <laughs> no. She's got some sass going on. There's some sass. As, as it's usual. Fine. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you should feel sassy. It's been a super long Friday. It's been a super long week. Mm-hmm. And it's cold. It got cold again. Ugh. Cold to us cold. Yeah. You northerners we, would we laugh sound at like us titty right babies now. right now. But, but we're, it's not, we're not made for this. <laughs> we have to wear coats. Yeah. <laughs> we look weird in coats. <laughs> it's not right. I don't know. I do prefer... My fall slash winter wardrobe over my oh absolutely spring summer wardrobe. absolutely so. I don't like shorts. It's not that bad. It's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the weather, but okay. <laughs> oh wow wow. <laughs> okay, what is in this uh, hump day treat, ma'am? Yeah, we're coming to you on a Wednesday hump day. Yeah. And funnily enough, it's Ash Wednesday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, so um, good. Yesterday was Fat Tuesday. If you are not from Louisiana, then you may not know, but we celebrate Mardi Gras. Just a little bit. And Fat Tuesday is like a day of feasts. Mm-hmm. Oh and no. We have <laughs> king cake. That's our traditional dessert. For Mardi Gras celebrating. Yes. How many um, have you had this year? How many king cakes? Yeah. I only had some at work from Lila's. Yeah, me too. Okay. But this week we had like three of those though. <laughs> I only had one piece. Good job. I know. But I did buy two giant king cakes for the parade this weekend. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll just work it's Mardi extra Gras. hard. It's, <laughs> it's a holiday. Yes. But since we are going to be consuming so much tasty Cajun food and king cake treats this Mm -hmm. weekend, we decided to go a little on the healthier side tonight. So we are having king cake and we have uh, pictures for you. They're so cute. We got little personal king cakes from Prep Cakes Bakery. Yeah. It's the local healthy bakery. We had some treats of theirs before. um, But tonight we have keto personal King cakes. Yeah. Keto friendly. Yes. So one of them is cream cheese and the other one is cinnamon and they are both delightful. They are actually really, 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 yes. really good. It, they're delicious. You wouldn't know that they're healthy. Yeah. At all. And then because we are who we are, yeah. we also have a bottle of <laughs> California Roots Moscato. And we threw it off. But mm-hmm. if y'all don't remember last time, this little baby packs a, a 9.5. Yeah, it is big. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> you did it to yourself. Anywho, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's our hump day treat. Yeah, happy humping all. <laughs> we're adopting it. We're adopting it, and that's what we're saying every week. 
It's perfect. It is. <laughs> like, you know, we just kind of accidentally said it and then we threw it in for Valentine's Day. But when I made that little artwork for it, I was like, you know, this is fun. I'm really, yeah, <laughs> this is fun. I'm really enjoying this. We like dirty jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so happy humping. Happy humping all. To uh, episode 35. Yes. Lighthouses. Yes. So I had mixed feelings. (laughs) I was excited, then I wasn't excited, and now I'm excited again that I've finished my research and my story because I got a really cool one. Yeah. Lighthouses are bomb. They are bomb. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. I'm not a big lighthouse uh, historian. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess but they are so cool. In my brain, I was just thinking something very Scooby Doo esque. There's no Scooby Doo esque lighthouse stories to be found. But I found something you would think really that cool. There would be though. I know. I don't know. I did. I found one that was pretty cool. Yeah, I like mine too. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, it's we, gonna be great. We branched out, and um, you know, mine's a little mysterious and spooky. I'm here for that. <laughs> the adams family (laughs) you're so pretty get out (laughs) you love me oh she said Mm -mm. she she said it i'm not gonna say it again way to fuck it up way to fuck up the love yous and i just don't pass those out lightly i didn't even say what you said i just said she said it Stephen, cut all this uh, love talk out, please. Yeah, we can't let people know that she's nice and she has a heart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just the icing on the shit cake of we'll say nice things about you when you die from last week. Well, you're not dead yet. (laughs) Delina was like, I legit laughed out loud when Amanda's like, well, people will say nice things when you die. I was like, I know, that's fucked up, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I thought it was funny. (laughs) So, if you want to see pictures of the hump day treats. Yeah. And pictures of our cases. Go to the interweb. Y'all. And find us on the Facebook. Facebook. Jinx. Oh. (laughs) Her face was super cute, though. (laughs) I have my moments. (laughs) Yeah, so go follow us on all the things so you can see see Hump Day Treat stuff and pics and all the um, shenanigans in between. Yeah. Yeah, there's shenanigans. Yeah, there's a few. And y'all can post stuff, too. Mm-hmm. We welcome we'll, it. We'll allow it. Yeah. Okay. What else we got? I don't have anything else. All right, me either. All right. All right, let's, let's do, do it. it. <laughs> Stop oh! it! <laughs> Get out of my brain. (laughs) Okay. So for my lighthouse, I chose the Flannan Isles lighthouse. I do not know of this. I don't think. Good. Okay. It'll be more fun. Always. The Flannan Isles are a group of rocky, uninhabited islands in Scotland. So let's go ahead and pop on over to the notes. Okay. And look at the one that says Flannan Isles. And this is a picture from an airplane of what these little tiny scattered islands look like. And you can kind of <gasps> see the lighthouse poking up there. Oh, that's so pretty. That's like the perfect lighthouse. No? Bum, bum, bum. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, why are you looking at me that way? <laughs> because we wouldn't be here if it was perfect. 
Good point. Okay, so the islands are named for St. Flannan, but are also known as the Seven Hunters. Okay. One of the largest of these seven islands called the um, Hebrides, Hebrides, Hebrides. Sure. Nailed it. Yeah. Is a rocky cliff edged island known as Eileen Moore. Sounds like a woman's name. Yes. Eileen Moore is topped by a grassy hill. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I couldn't hold that one back. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be saying it a lot. <laughs> Crap. All right. I got it. Eileen Moore is topped by a grassy hill with a lighthouse known as the Flannan Isles Lighthouse. So go to the picture that says Lighthouse 1. Okay. And that's kind of like a faraway picture of the lighthouse. And you see all the rocky cliffs and such. Girl. Doesn't it look pretty? Yes. I want to go there. I really like it. Yeah, I want, I, I want to go. Apart from its lighthouse keepers, the island was completely uninhabited. The settlers on the neighboring Isle of Lewis and the rest of the Hebrides always viewed this bleak and deserted group of craggy rocks with great superstition. Craggy. Craggy. (laughs) I like it. When I wrote that, it made me think of uh, Crag Rock from that uh, Nickelodeon show. What was that Nickelodeon show? Fraggle Rock. Not Fraggle Rock. Oh, my fuck. I'm not talking about the puppets. That, um, it wasn't Legends of the Hidden Temple. But it was the kids competing, and I they had loved that. They show. had to climb up the rock and hit the buzzer. But it was called Crag Rock, and I don't know why my brain remembers that, but I can't remember the name of the show. I, I don't. To, I wanted to be on Legends of the Hidden Temple. That was my jam. Oh, <laughs> me too. So bad, so so bad. I was like, no, go, go that way. No, God. I yep. could do that so much better. I know. Yeah. I would have wanted As I sit on my is. couch. Yeah. Many fishing boats and merchant ships had met their fate over the years, and the Hebridians continued to ferry sheep to graze on the island. Sheep who dined on the grasses of the Flannan Isles were said to give birth to twins or recover from illness. Okay. Despite its positive effect on the sheep, legend of a spirit haunting the islands kept any shepherd from staying overnight. The construction of the lighthouse began in 1896, and by 1900, it was complete. It had no wireless communication, and the only way of contacting the mainland was through the use of visual signals, which could be seen by the Hebrides on a clear day. They didn't have Wi-Fi? No. (laughs) I don't even know. Like, you saw the picture. Mm-hmm. How would you be able to see hand motions from the light? I get binoculars, I guess. That was kind of dumb. But the Flannan Isles Lighthouse was the scene of three mysterious disappearances roughly one year after the construction. There was no sign of a disturbance and very few clues to the nature of their fate. Now, over a 100 years later, what happened on that day still remains a mystery. I like it. Yeah. Okay, I'm hooked. On December 7th, 1900, Donald MacArthur, 40, Thomas Marshall, 28, and James Decat, 43, arrived at the Flannan Isles Lighthouse to begin their two-week rotation as keepers of the lighthouse. So, I have a picture of the keepers. I don't have a good feeling about the keepers. It says keepers. Okay. Look at the oh, m- my mustaches God. on these fellas. 
Homeboy in the middle looks like Man. he's wearing a fake mustache. It does look fake. It looks so fake. The one on the right's trying. At least he's got the kind of manicured, at least. Yeah, but baby boy in the middle looks like he's, he's wearing a fake mustache. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> but um, that's dim. Okay. They kind of look like conductors. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't peg them as light keepers. In their maritime garb. <laughs> the superintendent of lighthouses, Robert Muirhead, came with them to do a routine check of the lighthouse and speak to the men. He made certain that everything was in working order. He then spoke with James Decat about some difficulties they were having with the heavy mist that commonly surrounded the island. The mm. men then said goodbye to the superintendent and he left. MacArthur was actually covering for an assistant light keeper by the name of William Ross, who was on long-term sick leave, and who, incidentally, would quite literally drop dead in the light room of the Eileen Glass Lighthouse 16 months to the day after the tragedy here at Eileen Moore. Oh, so okay. Wait a foreshadow. <laughs> yeah, like, MacArthur wasn't even supposed to be there. Right. And some crazy shit's finna go down here. And the guy that was supposed to be there didn't escape his fate because he's dropped dead in another lighthouse later. Exactly 16 months later. Crazy, right? Very crazy. So now I want to hear what the tragedy was. I'm getting there. Okay. (laughs) And we're fixing to jump in. Yeah. The lighthouse was regularly monitored from the mainland by telescope. (laughs) Even more reason why we need to cut that other shit out. (laughs) Okay. This way, if there were an emergency, the men could signal for help. Unfortunately, there were issues with the mist. The lighthouse was seen on December 7th and December 12th. The lighthouse was also seen on December 15th by a passing ship. It was the transatlantic steamer Archter. I guess that's how you say that. It looks so awkward. Archter? Archter, maybe. That Mm. first noticed something was wrong. So, um, if you go look at the notes, I couldn't find a picture of that exact ship. Okay. But here's a picture of a transatlantic steamer from that time, an American ship. (gasps) Wow. I don't think I've ever seen one like that before. I know. It's kind of crazy looking. Yeah. I kind of like it. But I couldn't find pictures of that exact ship, so I just found an American, you know, transatlantic steamer from the 1900s. Okay. So, that's... Just so we can have Most an idea. Likely. Yeah. On its voyage cool. to the port of Leith from Philadelphia, the Arctur passed the lighthouse on Flannan Isles. The crew noted that the light was not shining as it should have been. After docking in Leith three days later, the news was passed on to the Northern Lighthouse Board that something was wrong on Flannan. It was not seen from land again until December 29th, well after the men should have ended their rotation. Weird. Yeah. The ship that was set to deliver the men's relief and bring them home from the lighthouse was delayed until December 21st because of bad weather. The board dispatched the lighthouse relief tender ship, Hesperus. (laughs) I want to name ships. That sounds like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) To investigate. This would be some really cool ships. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) That might even be one of the names. My brain went, oh, ship, with an exclamation oh, mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah, mine did, too. I was just trying to be mature for one second. 
I, I don't have it in me right now. <laughs> I'm glad your brain did it too, though. That makes me feel so much better. Oh, ship. <laughs> so stupid. You remember when you were little and you did that thing where you're like, okay, hold your tongue out and say, oh, ship. Yes. <laughs> An apple. And your mom says, what did you say? Ship. <laughs> no, it's a game, mom. Yeah. Oh, my God. You try it. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, so, anyway, board dispatched the lighthouse relief tender ship Hesperus to investigate, arriving at the island on Boxing Day. When they arrived at Eileen Moore, the men on board expected to see a flag flying to indicate that the keepers had noted their arrival. However, the flag was not flying, nor did the men respond to a siren or flare set off by the captain, Jim Harvey. Hmm. Huh. A small boat with two men on board was launched from the SS Hesperus. <laughs> with two men on board. I don't know why I like saying that so much. That's when a fun you put word. the SS in front SS of it. Hesperus. That's, that's, yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> when the men reached Eileen Moore, one man, Joseph Moore, went up to check the lighthouse for the three missing men. Moore set off up the 160 steep steps to the lighthouse. No. I got a pick of the steps. No. Good luck. I mean, I'll, I will look at it, but I'm not doing... Never mind. Do they have like a elevator, escalator thing? No, nah, boo-boo. It's 1900 and you're on an island. You don't... You can't even call people. It's okay. It's okay. You got to wave at them. You got to wave to the telescope. <laughs> so you're hiking up the steps. Good God. That's okay. <laughs> By the time that we are able to afford a Scotland trip. We'll have hover rounds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that lady went to the Grand Canyon hey. on her hover round. She's going to say that. She's stealing my brain. That's great. <laughs> but if she can do it, so, so can, can we. we. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> Retirement goals. <laughs> okay. So Moore got up the steps and he found the entrance locked. He unlocked the door and entered to find the lighthouse empty. Mm. The clock on the wall had stopped. No fire was in the grate, nor had one been there for a few days. Oddly, there was a meal sitting at the table. It looked like someone had set it down with the intention of eating soon, but left it untouched. There was also a chair toppled over onto the floor and an oil skin, which was part of their uniform, left behind. So it was like maybe like protective a, gear. Okay, yeah. So there were three men there, but only one oil skin was left behind. Okay. A canary in a cage was the only sign of life. Whatever happened to the men, it happened suddenly. Moore reported his findings to the captain. Harvey sent two more sailors to shore, and the men began looking for signs of life. There was nothing anyone could do about it with so few clues. So four men, including Moore, stayed on the island to operate the lighthouse while everybody else left. They had to continue continue going on, but they didn't stop investigating. Like, Okay, I need, yeah, I need more. Just hold your horses. Okay. The men turned their attention to the landing platform on the west side of the island. Here there was plenty of evidence of a massive storm. A supply box had been smashed open and its contents strewn across the ground, even though it was over a hundred feet above sea level. Hmm. So even that that high, there was there was shit strewn everywhere. Yeah. Okay. 
Iron railings on the side of a path had been bent and twisted out of shape. Oh, wow. Part of a railway track had been torn from its concrete moorings, and a huge rock weighing more than a ton had been displaced. It was more than a storm. (laughs) Um, Turf had also been ripped up from the tops of the cliffs, 200 feet above sea level. There was no sign of the three keepers. They got blown away. I have a quote. Uh, Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane or something like that. That was Harvey's conclusion in a telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board after the Hesperus returned to port. Hesperus. Hesperus. That word. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It does kind of just roll off the tongue. I know. I don't know why I like saying it. Arriving on the island on December 29th, the board superintendent, Robert Muirhead, began an investigation into the keeper's disappearance. Muirhead knew all three of the missing men well. Examining the oil skin that had been left behind, he concluded it belonged to William MacArthur. Oh, okay. Yeah. After going over the wreckage on the western landing, Muirhead speculated that Marshall and DeCat must have headed out into the storm to try to secure the equipment stored there. When they did not return, Muirhead surmised that MacArthur must have ventured out to try to find them. So he left quickly without putting on his oil skin. Hmm. From evidence which I was able to procure, Muirhead stated in his official report, I was satisfied that the men had been on duty up till dinner time on Saturday, the 15th of December, that they had gone down to secure a box in which the mooring ropes, landing ropes, etc. were kept, and which was secured in a crevice in the rock about 110 feet above sea level, and that an extra-large sea had rushed up the face of the rock, had gone above them, and coming down with immense force had swept them completely away. So he thinks a big giant wave came and washed them out to sea, pretty much. I mean, that's detailed enough. Yeah. Why anyone would head out on such a dangerous expedition when they could have stayed safe in the lighthouse can be explained by the fact that Marshall had previously been fined five shillings for losing his equipment in a previous storm. Okay. And as a family man, losing five shillings in 1900 was no laughing matter, so it's no surprise if securing equipment was more important to Marshall than his personal safety. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Muirhead's theory is largely regarded as truth. Theories more suited to the Middle Ages were soon doing the rounds, such as the men being gobbled up by a giant sea serpent (laughs) or whisked away by a huge seabird. Okay. (laughs) One theory had the men leave the island by boat to escape debts, while another had them spirited away by the skeletal crew of a ghost ship. Wow. Some people even thought that the men had been kidnapped by foreign spies or even an alien abduction. Oh, even aliens. It's 1900, so people are just, they can just make up whatever they want. Wow, I love it. (laughs) There were a few other more disturbing theories. The first is based on William MacArthur. And actually, they both are, really. Okay. MacArthur was, by all accounts, an ill-tempered man who was quick to settle an argument with his fists. It had been speculated that he could have started a fight up on the western landing, which led to all three men falling to their deaths from the cliffs. The second theory is that one of the men, again, probably MacArthur, murdered the other two, ditched their bodies into the sea, and threw himself off the cliffs. Those are a little dramatic. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Okay. But. Possibly. I mean. There's no way to know. You really can't rule that out. 
While both theories add a level of bloodthirsty juiciness to the mystery, there is no evidence that either a fight or murder took place. It is, of course, perfectly possible for men in confined quarters to rub each other the wrong way to the point where they snap and all hell breaks loose, especially when one of them has a history of violence. Yeah. Unfortunately, the bodies were never recovered, so there is no way to be sure. We all know. They're in Oz. We got nothing. They might be in Oz. Hmm. Another theory. (laughs) Throwing it out there. I mean, if we're speaking (laughs) aliens, why not? Why not? Sea serpents. Yeah. I think the sea serpents is a little bit more (laughs) far-fetched. More doubt was cast on the official investigation with the emergence of a logbook supposedly containing several interesting entries between the 12th and 15th of December. In the first entry, Marshall is supposed to have written... That a great storm, the likes of which he had never seen before, had hit the island. Yeah. He continued that Decat was unusually quiet when the storm hit, and MacArthur, a big burly man, not known to have much of a sensitive side, was crying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that just struck me as funny. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> a second entry has all three men praying in the eye of the monstrous storm, and a and final entry supposedly written on the 15th states that the storm had passed and all was now calm hmm. on hearing about the existence of these logbook entries many questioned the idea that the men had been swept out to sea because if anyone had died surely whoever wrote the 15th of december entry would have mentioned this perhaps mm-hmm. i mean I they're talking about people crying i don't know i don't know either the Flannan Isles, and particularly Eileen Moore, have a dark and occult history that stretches back hundreds of years. In the 18th century, piles of small bones were discovered on the island, earning it the nickname the Island of Little Men or the Island of Pygmies. <laughs> okay, that's kind of cute. <laughs> the Island of Pygmies. Little Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't. It was mentioned in the 1790 edition of the Annual Register of World Events as a possible former home to the magical fairy folk, the elves, and the sprites of Scottish lore. Yeah. The occupants of the nearby Isles of Lewis would sail to the Flannan Isles during the summer and use the island more for pagan rituals. Oh, shit. These ceremonies apparently continued on the Flannan Isles, possibly into the 18th century. Other explanations for the disappearance of the men are rooted in the mythology and paranormal of the islands. Huh. So pretty much like as long as anybody has ever known. Yeah. There was some crazy shit going on. There's some. The lands were primarily used for sheep herders and fishermen who nicknamed some of the islands the other country, believing them to be populated by all manner of fantastical beings. They used sacred rituals in an attempt to ward off any paranormal attacks and cautioned those who strayed to the islands that they would meet a terrible fate at the hands of invisible inhabitants. Mm. These include cryptids, creatures said to haunt the island and attack anyone on their path. Legends tell of giant seabirds that would stalk Eileen more for prey, birds large enough to devour a man, Or carry them off at night. Okay, well, that explains the theory. Mm -hmm. Okay. Other stories mention spirits that existed on the island before men ever set foot upon it. They would take victims into their realm, who would then vanish from the face of the earth. The legends haunt the island more to this day, with visiting ghost hunters claiming to have seen the restless souls. Mm -hmm. 
later lighthouse keepers stationed there have reported seeing the ghosts of Donald MacArthur, James DeCat, and Thomas Marshall. Hearing their damned whispers in the dead of night, forever doomed to remain on the island from which they vanished without a trace. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> One of the earliest references to the disappearance is featured in the 1912 poem Flannan Isle by Wilfred Wilson Gibson. Jesus. I know that so much. You did good. <laughs> <laughs> and which may have helped spread the word of the tale. Here's an excerpt. Ooh. We seemed to stand for an endless while, though still no word was said. Three men alive on Flannan Isle, who thought on three men dead. Hey, that was actually pretty good. Yeah. Over the years, the story has inspired stage plays and has even been adapted to an episode of Doctor Who, The Horror <gasps> of Fang Rock. Shut up. The 2019 film The Vanishing is based on the true story of the mysterious disappearance of the three lighthouse keepers. And oh, I have a picture of a movie poster. That is so cool. I've never heard of it, but now I want to watch it. It's got Gerard Butler in it. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's a good movie. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there's the movie poster of that. It's been a long time since I've seen that, and I probably fell asleep. I'm not going to lie. But I remember it being pretty good. You fell asleep on Gerard Butler? I know. It wasn't one of his, like, typical roles. Okay. I'll watch it and see if you get a pass. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Author Emma Stonix was instantly intrigued by the mystery, and as she read more about The Vanishing, she was inspired to write her debut novel, The Lamplighters, a reimagining of the events, but set in 1970s Cornwall. So that could be interesting. That could be. Hmm. The lighthouse itself remained manned and without further incident up until 1971 when it became fully automated. It is still in operation to this day and the aisles are now only visited occasionally for maintenance purposes. Nobody goes there. Oh, so we can't go there. It's like the dark shadowy place in The Lion King. You must never go there, Simba. (laughs) What was it? Beyond where the light touches? Or something like that. The dark shadowy place. Everything the light touches is his kingdom. Everything, yeah. Yes. I know, but it was But what about that shadowy place? You must never go there, Simba. Yeah. That's what Simba called it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's it. That's That was really good. What do you think happened? (sighs) I think that they probably did go try to secure some stuff. Either lost their footing and got swept away or blown off or either or. But yeah. I'm I'm pretty, I have a feeling that it was just natural. Me too. Here's what I think it happened. Okay. <laughs> I think Homeboy 1 and Homeboy 2 mm-hmm. went outside in their oil skins to make sure everything was secured. And then a big wave or the winds or something came up and... Dude exactly. inside who was trying to eat. That's why the chair was hard to struggle. And he went like, oh shit. Probably and ran screams. outside without his oil skins and right. knocking the chair over to try to help them. Maybe Same. the, maybe the winds caused the commotion and then a big wave just came and washed yeah. them all off. If you didn't get that noise, it was, <laughs> it was good. <laughs> <laughs> there was hand motions too. Yeah. And just washed them all away. Yeah. That's what I think happened. Agreed. But because it's 1900 and it's hard to investigate and pick up clues and explain things, 
it was easier to say they were abducted by aliens. <laughs> or a giant sea serpent had came and took them away. Or the bird. Shit, we don't know. There might still be pygmy people there, and they may have been pissed. So, we don't know. You know what? I'm just going to view it from afar. Yeah. Because uh don't need to <laughs> do all that. <laughs> that was really cool. I liked it. I yeah. thought it was interesting. I thought it was really, really good. Thank you. Thank you very much. I like all the detail. Um, You ready for me? <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Are you sure you're ready for me? I mean, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Lay it on me. I'm loving the enthusiasm over there. <laughs> I'm stuffing my face with king cake. I know. And I, know. I don't feel bad about it because it's keto. <laughs> I know. You did so good. <laughs> I'm so proud of us. <laughs> All right. The name of this lighthouse grabbed me, as headlines do. But, mm-hmm. you know. The name of this one is called Execution Rocks. I'm here for this ship. Yeah. I I love it. Rocky reefs, 1,600 yards northwest of Sands Point on the western end of Long Island Sound, carry a chilling legend of how they received their name. Ooh. Execution Rocks. As suggested by its rather gruesome name, it's long been a site of horrific history, repeated fires, and ghostly activity. It was also the dumping ground for a serial killer. I'm here for this shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. I'm about to. Its name comes from folklore that's never actually been proven, unfortunately, but given the gory details in the rest of the Little Island's history, it wouldn't be surprising if there was something to it. The story goes that in colonial America, tensions were always running high between these, like, British redcoat dudes and the American (laughs) colonists. Like, okay. I don't know if y'all have ever, ever heard of them, you know. But executions were still a matter of necessity at the time. In order to avoid any potential uproar, the British avoided public executions. Instead, they would supposedly take the condemned to execution rocks, where they would be chained to hooks that had been buried deep into the rock. Then it was simply a matter of waiting for high tide to drown the unfortunate detainees. That is fucked off. Isn't it, though? That's great. God, like, just hang me or chop my head off, please. Just sitting there waiting on the waves. Oh, that's fucked up. That's so fucked up. It said that the dead bodies were left there to give future victims a look at what the high tide was going to bring them. Of course. A final mind game as they waited for the waters to rise. Oh, my God. That's that's as bad as the heads on sticks. I know. Oh, my God. (laughs) But the ghosts of the victims later had their revenge when a shipload of British soldiers, that's a lot of shish, British soldiers. I hate that, <laughs> sent to pursue Washington on his retreat from Manhattan to White Plains, crashed at the reef, and no redcoats survived. Bum, bum, bum. Boom. And you said White Plains, and that made me think of that episode of Friends when Rachel was... Uh, supposedly buying all of her furniture from the flea market because Phoebe hated pottery oh. barn. 
And she was like, it comes from White Plains. Yes. Oh, my when God. When it really came from, like, the White Plains uh, facility, you know. Yeah, yeah. Warehouse, Pottery Barn Warehouse. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Yeah, and Phoebe would, like, she was in love with that <laughs> furniture. Did you pay, pay for this? <laughs> One in $50. <laughs> oh, they gave you old-timey pricing. And then she'd want, like, a, the history, mm-hmm. like, a little story. So Rachel <laughs> From the days of yore. Yeah. <laughs> I love Friends. It's so fucking stupid. Oh, my God. It's, like, probably one of the best shows ever. I love it. Yeah. Me, too. Okay. The other idea about how the Rocks got their name isn't really all that much better. This one says that the settlers on Manhasset Neck, a.k.a. (laughs) Cow's Neck. (laughs) That's not cute. No. (laughs) Saw many ships trying to navigate through the dangerous rocky waters of Manhasset Bay and run aground on those rocks. So many of the ships met their demise on the rocks and it was finally decided that a lighthouse was probably a good idea. Maybe so. You know. Yeah. Built in 1809, Sands Point Lighthouse is situated close to Execution Rocks, but proved ineffective at warning mariners of the offshore danger during heavy fog or stormy weather. In 1837, Congress appropriated $5,000 for a revolving or double light upon the south side of Execution Rocks opposite Sands Point, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. An inspector sent to examine the site reported that the assigned amount would be insufficient for a lighthouse, but suggested a light boat could be deployed instead. What the fuck is a light boat? Just a boat that has a light on it that, like, roams around. So okay. somebody's got to row around on a little <laughs> boat with a light on it. It's That's like your job? Of, well, I mean, like, it kind of, like, patrols the waters out in front. Do you take a picnic basket with you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I hope go? so, because they might be I'm out there for a snacks. while. If I'm patrolling in a rowboat, I'm going to need some some Dramamine. Something. <laughs> I don't know. It's 1809. I don't think you get... Oh, 1837. Yeah. Still don't think you get Dramamine. You know what? They probably had something. They would just hand some, some kind some of concoction. Send you out on your way. <laughs> I mean, whatever it takes. I'll, I'll drink it. Okay. This triggered some discussion of whether the appropriation applied to a light ship, but the point was moot... As the funding was inadequate for a light ship as well. What? I'm thinking of friends again. (laughs) It's like a cow's opinion. It's moo. (laughs) Joey says it's a moo point. Like a cow's opinion. It's moo. It's moo. (laughs) Oh my God. Joey's so pretty. He's so pretty. He's so pretty. It's moo. A decade later, on March 3rd, 1847, $25,000 was appropriated to build a lighthouse directly on the rocks, as it would, in the long run, be cheaper than a light ship. Okay. That's a lot of dollars for 1847. Kind of. $25,000? Yeah, I don't know how much that is today. I didn't look it up. I probably should have, but yeah, you know, doesn't somebody matter. do the math. Yeah, we know, we know that we a have lot of faith dollars. in y'all. Y'all are smart. You have Dougal. That would be a lot of dollars for me now. So yeah, even that was some good monies. Yeah, the architectural design was granted to Alexander Paris. I don't know Paris. <laughs> it's got two R's, so I wasn't really sure how to say it. You trying to be fancy with that shit? I, it, I have my moments. All right. <laughs> 
who a few years before had drawn up a similar tower for Maine's wave-swept Saddleback Ledge. <laughs> Saddleback. Like, okay. And just, whatever. After reviewing the reef, Paris selected a site for the lighthouse. Local man- mariners argued for a different site, and the lighthouse board sent out an independent body to study the issue that ended up recommending yet another site for the proposed lighthouse. They need to make up their damn uh, mind. Thank you. <laughs> Like basically, it's just this no, shit. Here. No, we should put it here. No, bruh. This shit I'm telling is you. <laughs> I know. B a n a n a s. I'm so glad you did that. I can't. <laughs> I can't spell it without it. <laughs> this shit is bananas. B a n a n a s. This shit is bananas. <laughs> okay. Too far. All right. <laughs> I was done. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, I've just kept it going. <laughs> Uh, it's a new thing, apparently. Okay, so the dude Paris insisted that construction at this site would cost four to five more times than the site he had originally selected, and the lighthouse was eventually built at the first site proposed by Paris, the largest exposed rock on the reef, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Why would you not? The construction contract went to the lowest bidder, Thomas Butler, who proved to be less than capable. <laughs> Which is probably why he was so cheap. Subcontract. Get what you pay for. Yeah, I mean, this is not more bang for your buck situation. Subcontractors did the majority of the work, and the lighthouse was completed almost one year behind schedule. Of course. The light went into service in 1850 under the direction of Daniel H. Calkins, who retained his previous position as keeper of the Sands Point Lighthouse and was given two assistants to help with the additional light. The legend of the executions had such hold that when light keepers were assigned to execution rocks, they were under a unique contract. This is kind of weird. I don't really. Okay. Okay. No lightkeeper was to ever feel chained to the reef. Instead of stating a set length of duty, their contract read that their length of service was for as long as they were willing. Okay. That's weird. I don't think because that's a good idea. How do you replace them? Right. Like y- Maybe you, they just hire a bunch of people. Maybe they had a waiting list. And say, okay, it's your turn. And when you're done, we'll just put you back into rotation for later. You can go back later. Like, maybe. Break. I don't know. That's weird. I but. don't know. I I think that might be pushing it people. It was the 1850s. Yeah. They, they weren't really aware of like mental health and all that mm-hmm. back then so much. You know, maybe all that seclusion probably wasn't a good idea. For months but on I, end. This would show that they were progressive then. Because like, okay, if you can't handle it anymore, just say so. And we'll we'll let you out of, you know, we'll let you come back. Yeah, but they left it up to them to say so. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, some of them could go totally like, oh, what is that shit before they yeah. decide to. Like get them a Wilson volleyball and make camp. Yeah. Surely people have to check on them and bring them supplies, though. So they would know if they was getting cray. Maybe. Or they just really loved it. Hmm. See? See what I'm saying? (laughs) So if for any reason they requested a transfer, it was instantly granted. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Perhaps that is why only one head keeper spent more than a decade at the station. Okay. Okay. I don't think... This. Maybe he just didn't like people. I, I Okay, I get that. Yeah. 
it may, it may be like the perfect occupation for some people. Yeah. Honestly. Okay. All right. All right. I get it now. So the first fire. <laughs> yeah. The first one. That was a big jump. Okay. Yeah. First fire. Got it. It kind of skipped around a little bit. I, was, I don't know. There was a bunch more like <sighs> details on how it came to be and like it broke it down into how much this costs and da 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 da. I was like, okay, that's too much numbers. Yeah. Nobody wants to sit here and read, yeah. listen to me read facts. Right. I mean, like, like statistics. <laughs> well, they would like the facts. Okay. Statistics <laughs> is what I meant. Like, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> I'm with you. God damn it. Just the way you said that. Nobody wants to sit here and listen to me read facts. <laughs> I got it. As soon I was like, wait, wait. Okay. Let me word that better. As soon as you said it, I was like, okay, that did sound bad. All right. Okay. Okay. So I fixed it. <laughs> the first fire happened on the watch of his successor in 1918. The lighthouse keepers and the Navy put out the fire. Another happened in 1921, also with only minor damage. Dense fog surrounded the station on December 8th, 1918. Keeper Peter Forgay. Forget. It's, Keeper it's Peter forget, forget, but I'm going to say it's Forgay <laughs> because there's no way it's Peter Forget. I love there's it. There's no way it's that no, cool. He is Peter Forget. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Keeper. Peter, <laughs> forget. Forget. It's a lot of ee hee hee. <laughs> Had been running the fog signal since 7 a.m. when shortly after noon he decided to take a lunch break. He noticed that the engine that provided power to the light and foghorn was running slower than normal and decided to check it out. As he opened the door to the engine house, a wall of flames greeted him. He immediately radio radioed a distress signal, and New York City's fireboat Cornelius W. Lawrence was dispatched to the station. I know he's in New York, but that is such a southern name. That is a southern name. Cornelius W. Lawrence. Lawrence. (laughs) Like, I can just hear the Georgia. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Love Georgia accent, by the way. That's not, that's not any. It just drips from your tongue like molasses. <laughs> Sweet like honey. <laughs> Andy Bernard from the office. I know. <laughs> oh my God. That was so like good. molasses. So good. Maybe I watch too much TV. I watch too much of the same thing over and over again. That's what it is. You find what brings you joy and why would you deviate from I that? I can quote friends in the office like nobody's business and perhaps south park and clueless <laughs> and mean girls and the craft and okay so there's a whole list of all things. the important ones so though. i do watch a lot of tv but you know what no i watch my comfort things because i don't have to focus on them but those are all the best ones they are the best ones so they're the best ones yeah before aid arrived, the keepers, armed with buckets and fire extinguishers, because, yeah, buckets are going to do uh-huh. it. I know. They didn't have fire hoses. It's okay. No. Courageously fought the blaze. They were soon helped by Navy patrol boats and soldiers from Fort Slocum, who had jumped into rowboats. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Slocum. Who <laughs> 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 did <didn't> spill? <laughs> Slow calm. Slow calm. <laughs> and now I'm a 12-year-old boy. That's so fucked up. 
What is wrong with my brain? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then I I need to read that sentence again properly. (laughs) They were soon helped by Navy patrol boats and soldiers from Fort Slocum. (laughs) (laughs) Who had jumped into rowboats (laughs) when they received the call. (laughs) I literally cannot... (laughs) It's okay. I got caught up about yours as well. (laughs) Sorry. Just in the nick of time, the troops removed barrels of kerosene from a storage unit on the verge of being consumed by the Inferno. Whoa, that sounds like an action movie. I know, right? I'd watch it. (laughs) Me too. The lighthouse, though... I'm I'm seeing the movie in my head. I can't. (laughs) Does it star Gerard Butler? (laughs) Yes, because this one would be much better and he would be shirtless. There you go. Yeah. I'm on board. Okay. The lighthouse, though singed and some of its stonework badly chipped, survived the blaze, but the fog signal light... God. But the fog signal house and machinery were destroyed. I did it. The eaves on the north end of the dwelling were burned away, along with the gutter on the east side, and the woodwork on the lower hallway of the dwelling was scorched. An act on July 19th, 1919, it's a lot of 19s, I kind of like it, it. appropriated $10,000 for restoring and improving the light station and work on erecting a new (laughs) engine house and repairing the dwelling (laughs) began. And in June 1920. You said a rat. I know. <laughs> I know, I know. My brain has been like serious preteen boy mode all day long. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. At the gym today, I laughed a lot. Oh. I laughed a lot because we had to do lots of compromising positions. And it was so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's hard to be a grown-up. I'm just saying. I mean, but at least we're in good company and we can do that. So on those days, you laughed at the word erect and you eat king cake for dinner. So that's where I'm at in life. We are killing this adulting thing. Mm-hmm. True grown-up. All the way around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, do you want to see some photos of this thing? Yeah, what the hell? Like, I don't have, well, I don't have any specific photos. I just have a bunch of, like, a compilation of them, so. I like, I like it. Let's look at them. Okay. Well, we see. can look at a few. Okay. Okay. Tell me what to look at. Uh, I, I don't have them in any specific order. Okay. There is one that you cannot look at yet. Okay. Okay. The first one is oh, pretty. a picture of the whole entire thing. See, that's what, the lighthouses with the stripes is what I think of when. Me too. When somebody says a lighthouse, I think of Like stripes. a Nantucket, Cape Cod type sure. thing. Sure. I don't know. That's what comes to my head. Yeah. Black okay. and white stripes. I like it. That's cute. Okay. She cute. Go to the second one. Sure. Why not? Uh-huh. <laughs> that's a close up. Okay. Right by the rocks. Here for it. I don't know. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Feel free to browse as you please. Second one is just a um, more of a close-up to it. That's all original stuff right there. Okay. The stonework is beautiful. I know, right? 
Um, the fourth one is a view from the lighthouse. Which is gorgeous. I know, right? Mm-hmm. I love this photo so much. See, I do want to go to the top of the lighthouse. I changed my mind. Yeah, we're going. We're going to find one that has the um, electric thing that goes up the stairs. Because <laughs> by the time we go. <laughs> no, we've been going to the gym. We can make it. Let's go to the fifth one. Okay. That's also another view from the top of the lighthouse. I know. I love it. It's I'm so pretty. There. I'm going there when I grow up. The next one is a view from the bottom. Or like, well, they're on the stairs, yeah. but about to go up to the main part. I love spiral staircases. I know. I have a picture. Like, well, mm-hmm. it's kind of a photo of the spiral staircase, but it's it's still there. Like, you can still walk up and down it. That's awesome. Then there's the keeper's quarters. Mm-hmm. It's petite. It is petite. And you can tell by the package of water bottles that it is um, fairly recent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of a photo. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Pretty sure that one's not from 1850. Yeah. But uh, the next photo with the cots for the beds. I'm not here for that. Please tell me that's not now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want a king size bed. I mean, at least a double or it, uh, a real mattress. Bitch, I'm extra. I want a king size bed. Mm-hmm. I just like to be like taking up all my space. Yeah. Well, because, dude, this is why I'm always tired. I don't <laughs> sleep soundly. I be rolling around, flip flopping. I start rolling around uh, around two thirty, three o'clock when I need to pee. <laughs> And I fight it till about four. And then I get up. Really? You have to get up to pee? Yeah. Because if I don't, I'm going to keep rolling around and I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep completely. See, I get my deepest sleep between like three o'clock and when my alarm goes off. Yeah. That's the deepest sleep I get all night. Well, see, if I actually get up when I first feel it and then I go back to sleep. Oh. It's like the best sleep is when you wake up and then you get to go back to sleep. Ugh, it's like the deepest nap ever. I love it. I don't really do that. I don't it's kind of to- like when you wake up really fucking early on Christmas morning and then around like 9 or 10 you get that sleepy like, damn it, I really want to go back to bed. I've been up all night long putting together this kid's fucking kitchen with the tiniest <laughs> screwdriver I've ever seen in my life. Yes! So, I know this. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> but I did not get to nap. No, but you wanted that nap, right? Mm-hmm. See, that one right there would have been like the best sleep ever. Is when that you get would have to... been the best time for a nap. Yes. But Ashton was way too excited. I know. I had to play. I know. Because when you have a toddler, you don't get to sleep anymore. Sleep is gone. It's yeah. just gone. See, when they get older, you give them a phone or an electronic, and they're (laughs) gone. Or a hoverboard, and they are gone for the rest of the day. It's like, or at least a couple hours. He tries that now. Until they want to activate their iTunes cards that they got, and you got to help them with that. (laughs) (sighs) Anyways, okay. That was a side (laughs) tangent. (laughs) Sorry. Don't even know how we got there. Uh, I have no clue. The cots. The cots. It all started with the cots. It started with the cots. Okay. Next photo is 
a photo that I absolutely love it's of the lighthouse. It's probably my favorite one, except for the pesky people in the way. I know. I really wish I could have gotten one without the people. But I, I just love the angle of this photo so much. And the sky. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Christmas. It's almost like it's whoever edited got this a light behind it. Did a bang up job. Yeah. The next one I think is really pretty too. It's a view from the rocks. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. More than pesky people. But look how that bird looks the same size as the people. Because of the angle that the picture's it's, taken It's at. one of those giant seabirds. <laughs> <laughs> They're all about to get carried away by the giant seabird. <laughs> okay. That's all the photos you get for now. Okay. Only have one left. And okay. it's about this next part. So. All right. I'm, I'm it's ready. coming. All right. So also in 1920. This is my favorite part. Execution Rocks was a stopover and a brief dumping ground for serial killer Carl Panzerum. All right. After robbing a New Haven, Connecticut home belonging to former U.S. President William Taft and stealing one of his guns. He's a ballsy little motherfucker. Right. Panzerum used the stolen money to buy a yacht. As I would do. Why not? Yeah. He then headed to New York City. Where he docked his yacht at a city island before prowling the streets in search of more victims. He would select his target, then approach them saying that he needed a crew. Once he lured on board and sedated with wine, Panzerum would kill them with Taft's revolver, tie a rock to the bodies, and dump them in the waters of execution rocks. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Today, that is all I got. That's crazy. Like, there's more about him, but that's all I got about him. And Execution know. Rocks. That's yeah. Isn't that freaking crazy? Pretty wicked story. Yeah. I like it. Today, the lighthouse on the rocks um, no longer has a keeper. That job has been replaced by an automated system. Ghosts are still reported there. Mm-hmm. Even though former lighthouse keepers have said that they never experienced any paranormal activity on the island. So how do we know there's ghosts there? We don't. People just say that. Well, I mean, I'm about to tell you why they say that. Okay. According to ghost hunters, though, the spirits of the dead are very much active there, haunting execution rocks with apparitions, the sounds of footsteps, and cries of pain and terror. I mean, I don't know. There's tours if you want to check it out for yourself. Yeah. (laughs) During the summer, the Lighthouse Restoration Organization gives tours of the lighthouse and water taxis from Port Washington past the island year round. Okay. You have to take a little water taxi to get to it. I'm okay with that. Okay. That sounds like fun. So. I'll take a water taxi to Execution Rocks. Fuck yeah. Okay. I'm down. Do you want to hear the ghost story? Of course. Have you met me? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Okay. The Shrieking Ghosts of Execution Rocks. When traveling on Long Island Sound, it is said when nearing Execution Rocks light, a strange sound sometimes can be heard. At first, from an extreme distance, the sound pierces the silence somewhat like the distant shrieks of clown-like gulls cartwheeling in the skies above the water as they swarm above schools of seething bait fish. A moment to take that in, please. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The distant shrieks of clown-like gulls? (laughs) Yes. Put that into perspective. 
I do not have a sample sound for that. I apologize. <laughs> Maybe we can find one. Sure. I'm sure there's recordings of seagulls. <laughs> Clown-like goals. Yeah. Well, on Finding Nemo, they say mine, mine, mine. That's what it is. <laughs> mine, 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 mine. There you mine, go. Mine, mine, mine. Yeah. Okay. Cartwheeling in the skies, though. Mm-hmm. Above the water is a swarm above schools of seething bait fish. Okay. Seething bait fish. Yeah. Okay. I, I like the wording. Okay. Something, however, seems a little different about the sound. It doesn't quite have the high-pitched optimism of the gulls as they feed on the fish. Instead, it evokes more of the primeval chill that makes the hair stand on the back of the neck, though one really is not certain why. Okay. All right. Need to find this sound. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Also, as the listener nears Execution Rock's light, particularly on bright nights when the moon is full, the chilling sound becomes unmistakable. What is the sound? I don't know. I need it. (laughs) It seems possibly human, though the sound certainly seems quite inhuman as well. At first, it seems as though the sounds are echoing from some unknown nearby surface. Soon, however, an awful realization washes over the listener that those are no echoes. Only the inhuman cries of several simultaneous vocalists. Okay. Okay. As the listener nears the jagged rocks of the desolate and forsaken island, the sounds grow unnatural and impossible to describe. Each starts in a way that evokes a guttural groan, then slowly rises in pitch and terror to a crying shriek. Not a scream, but a shriek seemingly born not of pain, but sheer terror. Occasionally, there's mixed among the cries something that sounds almost like the tinkling of metal. It is difficult to hear over the shrieks, but it is unmistakable. Instinctively, any listener recoils. Indeed, the sound evokes a visceral impulse to flee, a primeval fear promoting flight, not fight. The cacophony of shrieks bespeaks terror, death, and dying. It continues an unabated (laughs) for what seems an eternity until suddenly and without warning, the sounds stop. Indeed, abruptness of the silence is startling. Such an abrupt silence seems as chilling as the cacophony was itself. Oh, my stars. I know. I really like the ghost story, though. Yeah. Spooky. Like, I kind of want to go out there when the moon is just right and see what we can. But how do we know? I don't. How do we know when the moon is just right? I don't know. I need answers to these questions. I mean, it says when the moon is full. We should pick, like, a really good full moon. Okay, you get on that and tell me when and I'll just go. I'm here for Aye, aye, Captain. Just tell me where to go. (laughs) You aye, aye, Captain, to me. (laughs) (laughs) She saluted me in everything. I did. (laughs) Okay. Well. Yeah. That was a fantastic story. Thank you. Lighthouses are badass. I think those turned out really good. I like lighthouses. I do, too. I want to go to one. Well, let's find one. Let's go to Execution Rocks. They do okay. tours. Okay. Yours doesn't. Lame. Well, because mine is like some spooky, scary, uh, I don't know, occult island. 
I have a funny uh, island story real quick. Oh, yeah? <laughs> when I, it's just a little um, little cute tidbit. Okay. So Ashton has been uh, watching Scooby-Doo. Like the Scooby-Doo movie from oh, the hell yeah. kids with like Matthew Lillard as Shaggy. You know that Yes. Movie, with uh, Spooky Island. So good. So I love the aesthetic of Spooky Island. Like, I could live there with all the skulls and, you know, all the black, but with splashes of bright colors thrown in. And I love the spooky. And then they would have the Legends of Hidden Temple game in there. Yes. And Mark McGrath is on that island performing. So there you mm. go. You know, Sugar Ray guy. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I don't hate it. Not not so much the music as the person. I mean, he could just be there hanging out. He's he doesn't have to eyeballs. sing. He's easy on the eyeballs. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I made the comment when we were watching that movie. I was like, man, I want to go to Spooky Island. And Ashton's like, mama, no. I was like, what? He said, we can't go there. It's bad there. You'll be like those people. And it's like showing all the kids that are brainwashed. And he's like, you'll be like those people. Oh, can't go there. There's monsters. So I've been banned from Spooky Island by my four-year-old. I can't go there. He doesn't have to know. Ashton knows everything. He is my child. Good point. I cannot be sneaky around this kid. Hmm. Well, he's just going to have to get hip to the idea of it. Yeah. Let's let him get a little bit older. Yeah. Although he did tell me today uh-huh. that he is five and knows everything. Oh, yes. Now he's, he's been, five now. Huh? He's been four for exactly a month today. Yeah. So he's almost five and he knows everything. As they do. So that's a thing that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he laughs when he asks how old I am and I tell him and that number makes him laugh. It's kind of an asshole move. You know what, dude? We might have to have a little chat. <laughs> he asked me the other day, Mommy, how old are you? And I was like, I'm 36. And he started giggling. And he said, 36? That's a big number, Mommy. And I was like, you just hush. You just sit back there and hush. Look here, you little asshole. <laughs> that is not a big number. Oh, my God. I'm young and vibrant. I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I was younger, I thought that 30 was old as well. <laughs> or that I would be a grown-up, at least. When do, you, <laughs> when do you become a grown-up? I don't know yet. To be continued. Funny story. I asked my dad, and this has been several oh, years ago. Oh, no. <laughs> this has been, it was before Ashton, and I asked him, I said, when do you start to feel like a grown-up, like of a real grown-up? He's like, I don't know. When that happens, I'll tell you. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds about right. He hasn't said that to me yet. So... My dad used to have this thing. He said that people, specifically males, don't get their whole brain. <laughs> like, you got a half brain. You can function on that. But you don't get your whole brain till around 45. Well, that's frightening. Yeah. Because we're way away from that. So we got a long so way to go. far. I just <laughs> turned 22. What are you talking about? Let's do Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> So last week, <laughs> sorry folks, we totally, look, we were really caught up in those cases and it was a long episode <laughs> and we just forgot. I forgot. 
I yeah. forgot. We both did. So, so I posted fine. it on the Facebook. If you missed the segment last week, if it made you sad all day, then go look at the Facebook and you can read it because we posted it there. Yeah. We, we tried to make up for it. <clears throat> so. All right. Cold read for you. No. From. Yes. The Serial Killer Calendar. This Day in Killer History. I haven't said the title of the book in a while, so. Gotta give them their credit. Right? Okay. Serial Killer Robert Joseph Silveria Jr. Okay. That is so many words for one name. Yeah. Was apprehended on March 2nd, 1996. Robert Joseph Silveria Jr. They put all of oh them in there again. Again, okay. Also known as the Boxcar Killer. Ooh. Is an American serial killer currently serving a double life sentence in Wyoming. Yeah. He is on a contract for an outside state. Currently, he is in Wyoming Medium Correction. Oh, my fuck. Uh, Wyoming Medium Correction Institute. So, he's not in... He's... <laughs> He's not in a super bad prison. No. He's not in maximum security. No. But he's not a lightweight. He's in the medium. He's medium. in the mediums. It's fine. But we put, like, <laughs> you a- know, drug offenders in maximum security. Yeah. Okay. What is wrong with the world? So much. He is the head cook as well as the support system for numerous inmates. Mr. Silveria was also ah. convicted in Kansas for the killing of Charles Randall Boyd. And in Florida for using the killing. Wow, that was terrible, Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Silveria was also convicted in Kansas for the killing of Charles Randall Boyd and in Florida for the killing of Willie Clark. The end. I feel That's all we know. I know. These always kind of leave me hanging. He's in medium prison. He's a serial killer. They caught him in 96. Yeah. Call him the boxcar killer. He's in medium prison. Medium. I cannot. Medium. That's a thing. It's blowing my mind. He's in the medium prison in Wyoming. I just cannot even. It is what it is. So. I can't. Hey, friends. Hey. We haven't said in a while. We mentioned last week, but here you are again. <laughs> here I go again, again on my, on my own. own. Um, that was horrible, man. Hey, we were laughing, so I'm gonna excuse it. <laughs> and I've it. had a cold for like a week and a half. <laughs> Step Brothers reference, sorry. <laughs> okay. And I'm not filling up to what you are asking me. of me. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I got the quote wrong, but I knew where you were going with it. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to say. <laughs> What you want to say, baby? If you have any ideas of hump day treats or stories, or you just want to say hello, hey, 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 you can message us on Facebook or Instagram. We'll answer you. Amanda will probably beat me to it, but we'll answer you. Yeah, I'm pretty snappy on that stuff. Or you can send us an email. Yeah, we have that too. To oddities and curiosities podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Email us. We haven't mentioned the email in a while. I know. I check it. If you email us, I'll probably talk to you. Yeah, that'll be Brittany. All the other stuff is usually me. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... You do beat me to it It's an even partnership. It is. I like our relationship. Yeah. So, anyways, if y'all have any ideas of food or drink or something we should try out... 
Because like we said before, it does not have to be something you eat or drink. It can no. be a certain product that we could use to treat ourselves. Yeah, we so. love those. Yes. Yeah. So do those. Yeah. Do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, happy Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras. All right, we're out. Okay, bye guys. Peace. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. I'll talk at you next week.